Welcome to another edition of the show, Making Money, with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, a retired portfolio manager. That means he looked after money, folks. And I'm Gord Whitehead, a retired broadcaster. Ron, we talked about the first part of this two-part show on savings, about how important it is to have a strategy to save. And, and we're going to try to outline some different methods now that can help you to accomplish that goal. And we talked about setting up a strategy where the money comes out every month, and you, and you you put it to work and you let it compound. So let's start with with the first point that you have, pre-authorized contributions. Now all these plans are ways to essentially put your savings on autopilot. You don't have to look after it all the time. And one of the simplest ways to do this is go down to your bank and set up a pre-authorized contribution plan. And essentially this contractually tells the bank that they're authorized to take so much money out of your, generally your checking account every month, and they can redirect it to the RSP, the tax-free savings account. If you're buying mutual funds, it can go to that. It can go to a lot of different investment vehicles where you have choices where you can go on a pre-authorized uh, amount that automatically dollar costs average so that you're taking your money and you're buying something with a preset amount every month. So pre-authorized checking plans or contributions are the easy way to save. And like I say, it's once you set it up, it's on autopilot. Unless you physically go down uh, or go online. And say, don't take that money out this time. Yeah, Don't, yeah. don't take that money out this time. It's going to accumulate month after month, year after year. And, you know, I've seen people that have started these pre-authorized uh, contributions early in life. And we're going to talk about a whole bunch of other things that you can invest in, whether it was insurance or mutual funds or exchange-traded funds or or even... Real estate, couple, real yeah, estate, whatever, yeah. Yeah, G, GIC's real estate, by setting it up and having money come out regularly, having this mechanical process set up, these are the people that 40 years down the road look back and say, well... You know, this really wasn't as hard as it looked. I just mechanically set up this process, and I let it, I let it run, and that's what made me the success I am. You've often talked about mortgage payments, Ron. That's, that's number two. And mortgage payments really are a forced savings plan, aren't they? Yeah, it's an obligation. You have to make that payment. The real motivator is that what happens if you don't make the payment? You lose, well, you lose the house. Well, you lose the house. Your credit rating goes to zero. Um, the sheriff comes, changes the locks, and you're evicted. Things have to get pretty bad, and that's why banks like mortgages, because generally that is going to be the last payment that people will give up on, even if they're in financial duress, is their mortgage payment, because they, they, number one, they need a roof over their head, and number two, nobody wants to have stigma over their head of being bounced out on the pavement and you know all your friends and your neighbors and everybody knows about this so uh, frankly just from a vanity point of view yeah you, you want to make sure that you're making your payments and, and that is a huge motivator for people and so very very few mortgages unless we're in incredibly dire economic times ever ended up being foreclosed on because people, once they buy a home and it's theirs, they don't want, they 
they're very, very reluctant to give it up, and they'll do whatever they have to do, second jobs, uh, getting other family members to work, selling other assets, you know, just to be able to maintain the payments on the house. Okay, so mortgage obligation, a big one, a forced savings plan. It's growing a fairly large asset. I mean, for most people, Ron, if you if you have a, a let's say a stock portfolio, and maybe that's your biggest investment, your house is going to be in the top two or three for sure. For most people, the house is not only their biggest investment, but for most people over the long term, the house has been their best investment. And the reason for that is once you buy a house. And, you know, if you've done your shopping and you've done uh, your due diligence and got yourself a good deal on a place, then you buy it, you make your payments for, for 10, 20, 30 years, whatever your mortgage obligations are, and over that time, slowly but surely, the inflation that we see buoys up real estate prices, and you look, and over a 30-year period, you see that your house is maybe doubled or tripled or quadrupled in price. And very few people, I can tell you, that are traders especially, ever own an asset that is doubled, tripled, or quadrupled. So, so there, there you go. All right. So a massive uh, success on a lot of fronts is, is buying a house and paying off a mortgage. We alluded to pension plans in, in our first episode about saving. Not everybody has, I don't know whether we want to call it a luxury, I guess the benefit of a, pen, of a pension plan with your employer. And there's, there's a lot of stuff has been written over the past few years, Ron, that pension plans, a lot of pension plans are feeling the pressure right now. They may become a thing of the past in some cases, but if you do have access to a pension plan, it's a great way to save. Many people, especially if you work for governments, they have a pension plan where you don't even have to contribute, and they're called defined benefit plans. In other words, no matter how good or bad the markets perform, in this case, the government has the obligation of paying you out a fixed amount when you retire for as long as you live. And typically, there's options to pay out a survivor as well, usually at a reduced rate, but options to pay out a survivor as well. Those kind of pension plans are quickly disappearing. What is replacing them is defined contribution plans. And these are the plans where you contribute a fixed amount of money, and there is no defined outcome to this, so you don't know how much you're going to get when you retire. It's how well those investments have done. So it takes the onus and the financial obligation off the company uh, to provide for you, no matter what the markets have done, no matter what the performance has been. But often, with these defined contribution plans, they're set up so both you and your employer can contribute to them. So often, you'll find that your employer will contribute amount or will match whatever you contribute. So it's a great way to save. In fact, a recent survey that was, was done showed that they asked people two questions. What would you rather have, a wage increase? Or would you rather have access to some pension or retirement savings vehicle? And 80% said that they would rather have, uh, they'd rather defer a wage increase and have the money go into uh, a pension or retirement plan so that they could start saving for retirement. So, 
You know, and it's tough in Alberta right now, and a lot of people never thought they would be laid off, and of course they are. If you're out looking for work and you've got the opportunity, I know I talked to my son about this a couple weeks ago, he has a couple of job opportunities. One offers a pension and where the company contributes significantly toward it, and one doesn't. Now, the wages that they were offering were about the same. But I calculated the benefit that he would be receiving because of the pension plan. That that puts that one out front. Oh yeah, he, it was it was about two or three dollars an hour. It put him ahead. So, and I said, if that two or three dollars an hour would be wonderful, you're a young guy, and it's hard for you right now living in Vancouver to save any money, to say the least. But by having a pension plan, he's automatically saving, and not just savings, but tax-free savings. You know, this is money that's going in before the government gets uh, its pound of flesh off of it. So, you know, having a, a pension plan, if you can find a company that offers some kind of contributory plan where they participate, uh, that's wonderful, because it, it, it literally can add up and be worth maybe as much as 10% of uh, the value of your total package. So now, let's. while we're on this topic of pensions, Ron, let's talk a little bit about your own pension. Uh, you know, like we have a vehicle here in Canada with the Registered Retirement Savings Plan. If you're in a situation where you have a company pension, that's great. It always, to me, this is a rule I learned a long time ago, and I know you agree with this. you got to take care of yourself, too. you got to pay yourself first. And what about contributing to an RSP as well? There again, you know, a pre-authorized contribution plan means that, in fact, you can often set these up with your employer, even if they're not involved in your retirement plan. And there's some real benefits to, to using your employer if you can. One of the big ones is the fact that if you get, if the employer is large enough, they can get a big reduction in fees for you. So often, the the pools of money that you're investing in, the management or administration fee on those things is often a half to a quarter what you'd be paying if you just went out into the free market and bought this stuff. So, you know, check to see what your employer has and what kind of costs are associated with it. Because being a big guy, they can often drive down the cost, which makes it very, very economic, even if they're not contributing to it, to set up or to use a plan that has been negotiated by your employer. I've been drilling this into the heads of our of our two sons since they were little guys. And, you know, and anecdotally, our, our youngest son is in a, in a job where he gets bonused every once in a while. And he gets a bonus, and I'll tell him, put it in your RSP. But why? I said, put it in your RSP. Just do it. And then he talks to me here a couple of weeks ago. He said, gee, Dad, I got a good refund on my income tax. I went, duh. <laughs> take, now take the refund and put some in your RSP so you make sure you might get another one next year. It's almost self-fulfilling in that way. You know, and our next point is borrowing to invest. And typically, I don't recommend borrowing any more than you can pay back for investment purposes. I mean, we're not talking about a single... Family home. We're talking about going into the market investing, investing more than you can pay back in one year. But here again, it's very efficient for an RSP. 
So if you're in the 50% tax bracket and you have the opportunity to maybe put five grand into an RSP this year, well, if you borrow five to put in the RSP, you can't deduct the interest expense, but when you get your tax refund, you can, and if you're disciplined, if you march that right down to the bank and pay off half that loan, your 5000 usually within a month or so when you get your refund, is now down to $2,500 that you continue to owe. So uh, use borrowing, here again, borrowing, you're forced to pay it back every month. And so especially if you're putting money in investments, borrowing to invest, uh, not getting head over heels in debt, but it provides the motivator to pay you back. So you put that expense first before you think about going out with the boys to the sports bar on Friday night. I can raise my hand on that front. I, I recall years and years ago, uh, you know, saying to myself, maybe I should be maxing out my RSP contribution. So I went to the bank and I borrowed money to do that. As you say, con- combined with what I'd already put in, borrowed the money to max out the contribution, then paid back the loan, uh, and, and it worked out. In the end, it was, I think, probably a smart thing to do, if you can afford it, right? Yeah, and... The one-year rule, I think, is important to keep in mind, but uh, if if you borrow within those constraints, uh, you should be able to pay it back without too much pressure. And then next year, especially if you're making an RSP or a TFSA contribution or you're contributing to uh, your kid's educational savings plan, uh, just go and take another loan. Very simple, actually, if you've set up a line of credit with your bank. then you can just stroke a check. You don't even have to go in and renegotiate the mount. Uh, I've had a line of credit. I think the last time I used it was probably 25 years ago. But I still have a $50,000 line of credit at the bank that I could access at any time if I wanted to. So, you know, if I needed to make an RSP payment or tax-free savings account payment and I didn't have the cash to do so, it would be very, very easy just to pull up. They give you a special checkbook. Boom. Cut the check. Away you go. Okay, we talked about this. Uh, we did a show on investment clubs. Maybe that's one way to go about helping to save, right? An investment club usually has 8 to 20 members, and you have to do research, and then the club will vote on the research. So if you have regular meetings, uh, it can be a very good learning experience because typically you're having to go and, and do some research on a topic and present it to the other people in the group. And as part of belonging to the club, you've got to have membership dues. So especially if you've got a high-quality club where these guys are interested in building long-term positions and not interested in, in, a, in a glorified gambling casino, uh, over the long haul, I've seen clubs, I've, I've, over my tenure in the business, I've had clubs where I was managing well over a million dollars for 20 guys. Yeah, And uh, they, they kept these clubs going for 20 or 30 years. And the outcome was, for, for many of them, that, other than their house, formed the bulk of the retirement um, nest egg. So if you, if you want to reference how to get into an investment club, go back. Previous episodes of Making Money, it's on our website, letsmakemoney.ca. You can find it there, how to go about setting up an investment club. Another step that you have here, Ron, is an investment partnership. Yeah, for example, often 
people will want to go in with family members and maybe to buy a recreational property. I've seen families get together and buy a fourplex or a small small uh, condo complex or apartment complex, and those are very, very good, and typically you're going to need uh, some extra money, so you go to the bank, you borrow it, uh, you put your money into a partnership, and you can buy a bigger asset. Often it has cash flow coming in that will, will pay back a chunk of the, the mortgage that, you, that you've taken out, and even if it doesn't, if you have extra cash flow, here again it's a forced savings every month where you've got to pay it back. Okay, put securities on a drip plan, dividend reinvestment plan. If you have stocks, many of them will have the ability where you can go and take the dividend and buy more shares. You can either do that directly through the company or most investment firms will have that option available. Now, if you have mutual funds and exchange-traded funds, that option is usually also available. But don't forget, if you have things like guaranteed investment certificates, They'll give you an option where you can take the interest every year or you can compound it. And so compounding it puts the money back in before you get a chance to spend it and keeps it working. So even with interest-bearing investments, you want to try and find the ones where you can compound rather than have little amounts of money sitting in your account. Okay, this last one here is, is one that I hold near and dear to my heart. If you, if you have the ability, if you work for a company, take part in a stock purchase plan. I can recall... Uh, the company I worked for, the late stages of my career, had that kind of a plan. I remember talking to a lot of the younger guys that I worked with, and ladies too, and 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 I said to them, you know, really, this is kind of a no-brainer. If you can set that little bit of money aside, even if you only buy a couple of shares a month, the company, if you buy four, the company buys one for you. It's like a, it's it's an instant return on your money. It's kind of a no-brainer, I think, if you have the ability to do it. And, and some companies will will go as much as 50-50, I've seen, where you, you put up a dollar, they'll put up a dollar. And yeah. the nice thing is the money doesn't even get to your bank account. It gets taken out before it gets to your bank account. And shares are bought uh, into, the, into a company plan that's administrated. Usually uh, the cost of buying these shares, there's no fees to buy these, these shares. So it's very economical for you. And sometimes if you're buying it directly from the company, sometimes they'll even give you a discount on what you're paying for those shares. So there's lots of advantages. And if your company offers a plan, take it. And I had one last one, Gord, which uh, I was just thinking about after we wrote this up. Insurance. If you have an insurance policy, and I've seen some enormous policies where people bought plans for their kids, and then their kids ended up putting money into these plans, and you can have an enormous savings because usually there's the insurance component of the plan and there's also a savings component of the plan. And so if you're investing beyond the insurance component and you, you actually put money into the savings component of the plan, uh, this can really add up over time. Yeah, you get dividends and things on insurance policies that can compound and all of a sudden you can have a nice little nest egg there. Very much so. So savings is, is key. And as we say, we understand things are kind of tough for a lot of people, and, and we will never dismiss that. But if you happen to be on pretty sound financial footing, you're employed, setting aside a little bit for yourself, pay yourself first every month, and as Ron said, set it up at the bank so that the money comes out, you don't miss it. Down the road, you're going to think back and say, gee, that was a pretty good idea. All right, my friend, stay well. 
Uh, we will talk again in the in the next episode of Making Money. Remember, if you have a question for us or a suggestion on a show, I know that we had one, Ron, and we want to get around to that, maybe the Rip Van Winkle portfolio. We didn't get around to answering that one, I don't think, did we? No, we're going to put together a show on Rip Van Winkle, and Rip Van Winkle is uh, almost like a Warren Buffett portfolio, where what kind of stocks would you own if the fictional character Rip Van Winkle went to sleep for decades? What would happen if you had you could only buy companies that you couldn't sell for 20 years? What kind of companies would you own? And so these would be companies that have they're very durable, and you expect them to grow slowly, but be even bigger. 20 years from now. So we're going to talk about a Rip Van Winkle portfolio. What I've been really waiting for, Gord, is for we've had one wave of coronavirus, and I would expect that there's another shoe to drop here. Yeah, I don't think we're done. Yeah, yeah I, I don't think it's one and we're done. I think there's more to come. And so I like to make the shows where we're, we're talking about specific investment strategy, I like to make them timely. So we'll try to have a show right when we're in the midst of if we have round two and maybe even round three of this before it's over, we'll try to have a show where our timing is, where we can talk about these kind of companies and give you some options to look at that are timely. So, you know, if I do it now, well, and we don't have a pullback for three months or six months, that isn't a timely show. So we'll, we'll, we'll try to have it when it makes sense for everybody they can listen and there's going to be some opportunities that they can look at. But that was a suggestion from a listener. So if you have one like that, get to us through letsmakemoney.ca, our website, or of course from our friends at CFCW, cfcw.com. You can also reach us there. The show is called Making Money. The financial coach is Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead. We'll talk to you next time. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.